Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is the Gate of Heaven, Part 1. I'm planning a little series on this. And let me set this up a little bit if I can. Um, there's that idea that you may have heard, it sometimes comes up in the, in the Lord's Prayer, places like that, that uh, it talks about heaven and earth being more alike. The end of the book of Revelation, the holy city descends from God out of heaven uh, down onto the earth. And so as you think about, like it's a wonderful goal, isn't it, to think about heaven and earth being kind of reunited, being closer together. And as I reflected on this, um, do we think that heaven has the problem? Like heaven isn't earth-like enough, or heaven is sort of went off the rails. I don't think so. I think earth went off the rails. I think heaven is fine. Uh, heaven's developing all the time and growing, and all, but I think heaven is fine. If you're trying to get heaven and earth together, you have an earth problem, not a heaven problem. So how do you make this earth, this world, more like heaven? How how can we do that? Heaven, the way Swedenborg describes it, is a completely separate uh, realm. It's connected with this one by correspondences, but it's not like you go physically up in the stars, the galaxy, or so somewhere in space or something, and there's heaven. It's a discreetly separate world that we can't sense with our physical senses. So how are we going to connect with it? Well, Swedenborg has an interesting answer that we'll be looking at, and it has to do with Jacob's Ladder. And I invite you to join me on that journey tonight, good friends. Let's open with a prayer. Perfect. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us in your holy name. We open up the pages of your word, and we seek to know who you are, Lord, and what it is that you would have us do. Thank you. Amen. Sending love to those of you who are out there online and getting the audio feed and here in the room for this, uh, this, wonderful, um, this wonderful thing to try to ponder things that are so important. What is this? What is, how is earth going to be more heaven-like? Let me introduce to you what this is in case you're unfamiliar with what we do here. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life, John 6.63. Spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, we take to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus, we read in Scripture, is the Word made flesh, John 1.14, what he says of his words, we take to apply to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from the life of hell to the life of heaven. So we're talking about the gate of heaven and pondering how this world can be more heaven-like. How can this world be better connected with heaven and Jacob was lucky enough to see a ladder that connected this world and heaven. So let's think about what that means. Let's go to Genesis, all the way to the left in your Bible. 
chapter 28. And let's read this story of Jacob's ladder. I'm sure it'll be familiar to some of you. Oh, that's good. Our reader is just uh, applying a microphone. The, um, yeah, Jacob actually sees a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven and angels are going up on it and they're coming back down. So let's read about what he experiences there, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Okay, now this idea of this pillow is a little weird. I mean, if you don't have anything else, you got to deal with a stone, but it wouldn't be my first, second, or third choice of what to sleep on. It's just not going to be terribly comfortable. Way. Okay, you get to pick one that's not too pokey or that's shaped approximately right or something, but it's a weird kind of pillow. Uh, go on. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. Mm, yes. And there the angels of God were ascending and, de and descending on it. Yes, and dear reader, what were they doing first? Were they coming down first from heaven? The angels are coming down, right? They were first ascending. Oh. And then descending. Okay, so the angels are going up first. The angels are down here, they go up first, and then they come down. Okay, and what else does he see? And behold, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Yes, so this is a promise that they're going to one day be in the holy, you know, he's in the, the holy land and that one day this land will belong to his descendants. And what else does he learn about his descendants? Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then this beautiful statement. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Okay, I won't leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. So uh, the Lord, you think the Lord might appear and say, here's what you're going to do. But the Lord appears and says, here's what I'm going to do, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your family great. You'll spread out in all directions, and I'm with you and will keep you everywhere that you go. I'll bring you back here to this land, and I won't leave you until I've done that, that which I spoke of. But uh, there's a little shade of, is he going to leave after that? I, I, I don't know. But uh, then how did Jacob react to this dream? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Yeah, this story has just um, uh, sort of stimulated the imagination of a lot of people over time because here's Jacob just out in the middle of nowhere. He's just on a journey as far as he knows. 
it'll just crash anywhere, whatever. Okay, the sun went down, here I am. He's just in the middle of nowhere. He's not at his destination. He's not where he left from. He just has to grab a pillow and lie down. And all of a sudden, pow, he's having this vision. There's a ladder that goes all the way up to God. God's telling him all about his life, right? It's not just like God appears and goes, ah, or something. You know, God says, I know you, Jacob, and here's what I'm doing with you and your life. And it, right, uh, it, it's great. And, uh, and Jacob's reaction, and I was very proud of our dear reader for not bursting into song at this point, but uh, <laughs> uh, Jacob's reaction is that sure the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. And then it's interesting, it says that he was afraid but it says, awesome, how awesome is this? Like he, whew, and Swedenborg talks about there's good kinds of fear and bad kinds of fear. The sort of fear that you experience if you're living an evil life as opposed to the sort of fear you experience if you're living a good life. They both have fear in them, but they're very different kinds of fear. And he feels this good kind of fear of like, whew, this place is amazing. You know, <laughs> I, I thought this was the back half of nowhere and here I am lying I'm, uh, uh, you know, on this rock or something and, and the Lord is right here and heaven and earth connect right here in this place. So it's great. We have an answer to our question. Uh, the part of earth that is most like heaven is wherever Jacob went to sleep that night. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So we can go home now uh, knowing that there is at least that place. No, I don't think that's what it's talking about. Um, uh, Swedenborg's interpretation of the word is so interesting. I was thinking this morning about, like no one would ever say, you know, there's a lot of literalism in our world and so on, but who, would anyone ever say, the Lord's words are spiritless and they are lifeless? You know, anyone ever say, no one would say that. And yet it's interesting that there's uh, such a reluctance in some quarters to think that there's anything deeper than Scripture. It almost seems threatening to think that there's more. But uh, the idea that the Lord is the Word, and he says in Luke 24 that the whole Old Testament is about him, Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, he opens up to his disciples everything in Scripture that's about him, but you can't see how is this about the Lord. You know, you can't see. He's not like his name didn't occur in here or whatever. How, how is this about the Lord? And if the Lord is the Word and everything in the Word is about the Lord, does it not stand a good reason, <laughs> if I'm not getting tangled up in syllogisms here, that the Word is all about the Word, right? Uh, the Word is all about the Lord. The Lord is the Word. Therefore, the Word is also all about the Word. And so this story is a story about <laughs> Scripture, like Scripture there are two images in there that are striking to me, and Swedenborg says they're really the same image, and I love the way that he, he really lifts above time and space and the way that he interprets these things. The two images are that stone pillow. Very awkward sort of thought of like this weird to have a stone for, but maybe it's a super round, comfortable stone. I don't know, but it doesn't sound like my first choice. And, uh, but he says that it that has the same meaning as the latter. There are two elements in the same story that have the same, that have the same meaning uh, because the, the pillow, the stone, is what connects the, bo- the, the body to the head. See what I mean? It, it's a, it, it, it says, does it not? It says at his head or something, right, mm-hmm. is what it said. And it's, it's something that you put on your neck. That's the way, way Swedenborg explains it. 
Oh, that it connects the head to the body. So there's a stone that connects the head to the body. And then there's a ladder that connects the earth to heaven. And the earth is like the body and heaven is like the head. You know, there are these two images of connection. And what Swedenborg says um, that I, I find so great and intriguing is that all these things have meanings. There's a meaning to the ladder. There's a meaning to the stone. Uh, he didn't find some nice leaves or some straw or tumbleweed or feathers or anything nice and soft to lie on. He found a stone because the thing that connects the head to the body, the thing that connects this earth to heaven is the truth. And a stone stands for truth. So there's something about a truth that connects these two. So one of the things that our world needs to do to be more readily able to connect with heaven is that we need to be thinking more heavenly thoughts. We need to be on the same wavelength, the same frequency, the same you know, band or whatever of communication as heaven. And that way we could connect. As soon as Jacob had that, and Swedenborg comments also on the fact that uh, he had that uh, when he was in a peaceful state, like Jacob is lying down, he's peaceful. You know, he wasn't journeying and oh, got to go and oh, I hope I find water or whatever. You know, he's just relaxed. When he's in that relaxed state, then he's able to see how this connects uh, to heaven and all the way to the Lord, and he's able to hear the Lord talking in it. So is this a picture, is that ladder, is that stone a picture of the Word, uh, a, a way that the Word connects heaven and earth. The Lord's words are spirit and they are life. They connect to something living and spiritual and they connect all the way down to this earth that they're talking about concrete things like stones and dreams and, and ladders and so on. Um, okay, so now, uh, one little problem with this is that Scripture has been very much interpreted in many, many different ways. So if you say, well, Scripture connects us to heaven, then everybody should be connected to heaven. Um, but there's so many different ways to read it. How do you know if you're thinking what heaven thinks when heaven reads? How do you know that? It was striking me today to think about, this is just painting with a very broad brush, and um, but... Some people, is it not true, good friends, read this book and decide that this book says that it's all about wealth and money and that if you follow this thing right, you will be wealthy. If you follow it better, you will be wealthier than someone else who's wealthy. It's called the prosperity gospel and you can tell who's really in the Lord because they have a bigger jet or whatever. You know, there are people who, who teach this and, and really believe this, that it's the prosperity gospel. Interestingly, there have been other people across time who have read the exact same book and decided this thing was talking about a vow of poverty. Isn't that amazing? That you had to go out in the desert, give up everything, and live off of next to nothing, have no possessions, and just beg or whatever the mendicants and the, you know, these various different people over time. Well, how could those things come out of the same book? There have been people who have thought that this book was all about alchemy, about how to turn base metals into gold. 
so that you would gain wealth. And people have interpreted the scriptures that, oh, I think this is talking about this. Okay, that's about mercury. This is about lead. Okay, this is what, you know, that's the way they read it. Fascinating. Other people somehow don't think about alchemy when they're, when they're reading it. Uh, some people have read this book and thought that this says that we should destroy our enemies. And it certainly does say that a lot in the book. And so people have gone out on the crusades and they've killed all the infidels they can get their hands on or whatever, you know. Other people, have they not, good friends, read the same book? I'm just painting with a broad brush, but have other people not read the same book and decided it's all about pacifism and that you shouldn't go to war under any circumstances. You should not become a soldier. What, same, same book. So, okay, so that's great that, that the, the, the book exists and we can read it, but Swedenborg says you need a lamp. You need something to help you understand the book. And he calls that, in the language of the old translations, the doctrine of genuine truth. Now, this may sound a little circular, but, but uh, bear, bear with me here. Uh, basically, what he's saying is that if you know the answers, if you know how heaven thinks, you can read this book in a heavenly way. You can understand what heaven, well, that's great, but how did you find that out? You know, And uh, the answer is that, well, Swedenborg went to heaven, and he figured out how people read scripture up there, and he came here and he told, here are the answers to the quiz. You know, it's not about the prosperity gospel. It's not about a vow of poverty. It's not about destroying your enemies. It's not necessarily about being a total pacifist either. It, you know, he, he sort of said, it, it's, it's not about worldly things. It's about the Lord's kingdom, about how to regenerate and become angelic and so on. And um, so this, I don't know if I'm going through this too fast, but the doctrine of genuine truth is like we need someone to explain to us, the more people the better, to say, okay, wait, how do I understand this? Because there are a million ways of interpreting it, and they directly conflict with each other, and people fight about it to the death, about you know, what it means. So how do you know what it, what it really means? Uh, so the doctrine of genuine truth, uh, the kinds of things that Swedenborg says... Like, <laughs> it is a little circular, I admit. But once you've got Swedenborg to sort of tell you, okay, here's, here's how it goes. Here's the map. You've got a heaven. Heaven has three levels. You've got a hell. Hell has three levels. People live here. They die. They go to the other world. They don't come back. There's no reincarnation, whatever. And, and uh, you, you live here, one, one and done, and you go there, and it's all about whether you have evil in your heart and falsity in your mind or you have good in your heart and truth in your mind. And he, so there's kind of a basic map that he talks about and that if you read it through that lens, you see, that's why at the beginning of this Bible study, I talk about reading the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens. What I'm talking about there is what I hope is a doctrine of genuine truth. I don't know how far we can ever get with that, but, but uh, um, trying to read it through a lens. And so you could say, oh, well, anybody could say, oh, well, I, I flew to the moon and the moon told me what scripture meant. And, uh, you know, and you just have to believe me. Um, uh, the, uh, don't they say the proof of the pudding is in the eating? It depends on whether it works when you deploy it in your life. To me, that's the ultimate test, right? Like if someone teaches you something, you don't know 
until you try it. But if you try it and your life gets better, you know, even if it gets better from horrible to less horrible, you know, that worked. That was good. You know, something <laughs> moved in the right direction. And so that is likely to be true. In other words, heaven is helping with that interpretation. So you're moving, moving in the right direction. Um, let's read, just to inject it, we'll have less scripture and more talking than usual tonight, but let's read Matthew 16. Uh, I love this, uh, love this little story. It's a remarkable thing that happens here in Matthew 16. Okay, let's start at verse uh, 13 there. Because it talks about our thoughts, the kind of thoughts that we have. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, so listen to what Peter said. So there's a question about who is the like who exactly is the Lord? What's going on? And he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how does Jesus respond to that? Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Ah, you see, so what Peter was saying was revealed. It was revealed to him, right? He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father was in heaven. Peter was connecting with heaven. He had a correct understanding from heaven of who the Lord was. And he said it in that term, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then listen to what uh, Jesus says to Peter next. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Yes, and Peter means rock, as you may know. And so he says, you are Peter, and on this rock. Now, people have taken that to mean on the rock of Peter. Uh, you know, the Lord will build his church. And so you've got the line of the papal succession and all that. Uh, uh, but he says, on this, he doesn't specify what the rock is. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates of Hades. Uh, go on. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Yes. Now, could you put your finger in there for a second? I just want to turn to Matthew 18 because a lot have been, has been made, talking about interpretations of Scripture, of that moment where everything's handed to Peter because that was sort of the, the rationale behind the Pope being the vicar of Christ and everything's handed, handed down the line after that. But look, two chapters later, Jesus is talking to all the disciples. Look at 18 verse 1. It says, disciples came to Jesus and asked him about who's the greatest in the kingdom. So he's talking to all the disciples. And what does he say in 18 verse 18? 
Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, oh. and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Oh, so he says to all the disciples the same thing he says to Peter. Now, it's weird. If you read a couple of chapters later, you get a kind of different impression. As he says it to all the disciples. Same thing about the binding, and binding on earth and bound in, in heaven and loosed on earth and loosing in heaven. Okay, so let's go back to Matthew 16. And look at verse 20, if you will, there. So how did, what did Jesus do next? Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Okay, go on. Some of you heard me talk about this before. Go on. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and be raised the third day. Okay. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Yeah. Now, Peter's taking him aside and having a gentle word with him. You know, the poor fellow, you know. And, and uh, he's, he's correcting him. So how does the Lord react to Peter just eight verses later? But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Ah, wait a minute. Just a few verses ago, Peter was thinking something revealed by heaven, and he was told, on this rock, which I think in Swedenborg thinks means on the rock of you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, understanding who Jesus is, that's what the rock is. Not Peter. Peter means faith. He means belief in that. But uh, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, that truth about who the Lord is will be foundational. And then a few verses later, when Peter is thinking different thoughts, what did he say? You are mindful. What was that? Mm, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Yes. Now his thinking is not coming from a revelatory place. Now he's not, his thoughts are not coming from the, the Father in heaven. His thoughts are coming from the human world of like, Jesus, don't be saying, that. What is, why, why would you say, you're going to bum everybody out. Don't, you know, you're going to ruin your ministry. Don't, don't say that. Take him aside, have, have a you know, stern word with him, straighten him out. And, uh, and so Jesus is like, he, you know, he fell completely off, off the wagon there. Uh, in terms of where his thinking was coming from. So it's very important where, where our thoughts, there are thoughts that we have, we're, we're not unlike Peter, we have thoughts that come to us from heaven, that are revealed to us from heaven, and we have thoughts that come from this world, that come from selfish and worldly preoccupations or worry about how, you know, what will people think or whatever. And those are two different places you can think from. And isn't it amazing when P I love that, you know, because when Peter is thinking from heaven, Jesus says very nice things about him. <laughs> you know, on this rock I'll build my church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. When he's thinking that other junk, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, bang, wow. So the Lord is calling him either the foundation of the church or Satan based on where his thoughts are coming from. It seems pretty clear, right in the literal meaning of Scripture, doesn't it? That where his thoughts are coming from shape 
whether he's receiving some revelation from heaven or whether he's just getting something from the world. Okay. All right. Uh, another, let's read another scripture. Let's go back to Isaiah, roughly in the middle of your Bible. If you, and the Psalms turn to the right. And Isaiah is nice and large, easy to find. Let's go to Isaiah 7. Mm. Let's read Isaiah 7, verses 14 and 15. 14 is a famous, uh, well-known kind of uh, prophecy of the Lord's birth. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which we find out in Matthew means God with us. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. I just love that phrase. We've talked about it occasionally in Bible study in the past. That Curds and honey he will eat so that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. It's so important. One of the things that Scripture is trying to teach us is to recognize evil and to know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Just a very simple formula, how Jesus became Jesus. I mean, he had a divine soul, but how that human developed was that he knew to refuse the evil and choose the good. That's what he, he just did it better than anybody ever did. Uh, that, that's the simple formula. So if we know that, when you think about how much teaching goes on in Scripture, like just in the literal meaning of Scripture, is Moses talking to the children of Israel now and then? Is he telling them, do it this way, don't do that, know this about God, go here, don't go there, you know, teaching, teaching, teaching. How about the prophets? How about Isaiah? Teaching, teaching, teaching. How about Jeremiah? Teaching, teaching, teaching. Uh, all this teaching from the prophets. How about, uh, how about uh, John the Baptist? He's teaching people, telling them how to live their lives. Jesus does all this teaching. Paul's going all over the known world, teaching, teaching, teaching. You know, there's a lot of teaching. Like part of what Scripture is trying to do is to teach us things, to teach us about evil, to teach us about good, and to teach us to refuse the evil and choose the good. Peter had the good flow in, and he got praise. He had the evil flow, flow in. He just followed it. He didn't refuse it, right? He didn't know where it was coming from, so, so he found out. I imagine the next time he, he didn't make the same, same mistake twice. You know, that flowed in. So, oh, oh, guess it was kind of outrageous of me to take Jesus aside and try to school him on how things are going to go. Um, so you've you got to know to um, refuse the evil and choose the good, and it happens in that order. Uh, Swedenborg says, and, and a remarkable thing, it's just, just remarkable to me, he says that the spiritual world to which we all go after we die it has uh, major, major schools in it. It has schools. Now, why does it have schools? He says you go through a process after you die where you get sort of boiled down to the essence of what you love and what you understand and all superfluous stuff is, is taken away or, or cast to the side and so on. So you get kind of reduced to your essence, like a reduction in cooking or boiling down maple sap to maple syrup or something like that. And he doesn't use those analogies. But uh, then 
you go to school. And Swedenborg explains that it's a behavioral school. It's like a life context school that you go to schools. And uh, he says that the way you get to the lowest heaven, he says there are three heavens, and we read that in scripture, the third or the highest heaven, that kind of thing. Uh, um, the way you get to the first heaven is that you have to think first heaven thoughts. You have to have a first heaven mindset, and someone has to teach you that. How you get to the second heaven is that you have to have second heaven thoughts. You have to have a second heaven mindset, and someone has to teach you that. The way you get to the third heaven is you have to have a third heaven mindset. You have to be thinking the things that the third heaven thinks. Now, it's a fascinating idea. It really puts a premium on education, doesn't it? And that you would, uh, that being taught, so how you get from the first heaven to the second heaven is you get taught. How you get from the second heaven to the third heaven, you get taught. That's not all there is to it. Um, but uh, that's a major part. Another thing Swedenborg says is that the reason that uh, the other world seems so separate to most of us, doesn't communicate us, we, with us, we, we don't know what's going on, we don't see our loved ones or whatever. You know, some people have the veil thin and so on. But the, the reason for that large cutoff is that we don't think the thoughts of heaven. That's, our thinking is different, you know? Our, our thinking is different. So if we're thinking certain thoughts, it's like a language barrier, right? Or, or, or trying to, or, or, you know, some wise sage trying to talk to a two-year-old or something like, you know, there's a limited conversation that you can have because you have to have certain things in common, a certain language for any kind of communication to happen. So what scripture wants to do is it wants to teach us the thoughts of heaven, but it does it in this heavenly language which is full of these correspondences. So one thing we need is the doctrine of genuine truth, which just means that we need to have a body of teaching in our minds. You don't do it perfectly or whatever. Uh, and I hasten to say that the reason that Jacob saw a ladder that was set up from earth to heaven is that you just go step by step. You start out with really dumb earthly thoughts, and then you just go up one rung, and then you're thinking slightly better thoughts. They're slightly more accurate, slightly more heavenly. Then you go up another one, boom, oh, now you're doing a little better. The angels are going up, boom, boom, boom. You're thinking, it, there's talks about a long time, that process to get all the way up to the Lord. And then, isn't it amazing that once you're up to the top, now the angels go up and they come back down. But once you have the Lord, it's not... Let me figure out how to say this. It's not that you go up the ladder and then you see the Lord and then you turn your back and you don't see the Lord, you go back down the ladder. No. What does the Lord say? I'm going to stay with you. Once you get up to the top, the Lord stays with you even when you go back down the ladder. So it's down is not the same as up. It's not the same as up. The up it's not just up, upside down. It, it's a different process because you go up, you see the Lord, then you take that with you. You come back, back down the ladder and you take that with you. Um, uh, how am I doing, dear reader? <laughs> doing okay? Okay. The, um, 
Another thing that we need is to understand correspondences. So that doctrine of genuine truth will be a very gradual process. It'll be like the way that children learn. You know, like how does a, ch a child learn how to speak like an adult? I tell you how it doesn't happen is somebody doesn't go in their room and they're doing a half and say, you're doing grammar all wrong, you know? <laughs> do this, do that, change this. You should use this expression. Don't, 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 don't you know that's plural? And, you know, and <laughs> you know, that's not how it happens. Little by little, you go, oh, you just correct one little thing, and the brain goes, oh, you need to replace one little neuron with another little neuron pathway. You know, oh, no, that's not quite right. Okay, change that. Oh, the past tense, oh, it's not goad, it's went, or what, you know, another little brain pathway changes, and it's very gradual. That's how it is for us learning heavenly language. It's not like, it's boom, oh, you know the doctrine of genuine truth, so you know it all at once. It's a very gradual thing with these little steps. And every time one sort of pathway through your mind, uh, you realize, oh, it's not quite accurate. Who you thought the Lord was is not exactly who he is. You know, you upgrade your, your understanding and you're thinking a little bit more along the lines of heaven. The other big thing is correspondences. Correspondences is uh, Swedenborg's idea. He's quite well known for this notion uh, that... Uh, there are two worlds and they echo each other. So the moon behaves in our physical experience the same way faith behaves in our minds or, or the, the physical sun behaves like spiritual love, heat, light, plants. Um, and you've heard me talk about this, basically the topic of every Bible study. The uh, people are like very wise things within the human mind. They, all the animals in scripture are like other things in the human mind. Animals are feelings, birds are thoughts. Then you've got all those little fun creeping things that show up now and then in Scripture uh, that are more external things within us. These are all things. So, and then you've got correspondences of the, the Holy Land, which uh, quite simply, if you know the elevations, the, the higher land is more heavenly and the lower land is more external. And on this side of the Jordan is, is more internal than on the other side. And, and um, so if you get kind of a basic map, you figure out, okay, this is Egypt, this is what you know, these different things mean. The correspondence is, is a language in which scripture is written. And I find Swedenborg's case very compelling that he can take a word like Egypt and he can show it to you in Genesis, he can show it to you in Revelation and all points in between and show that it has the same basic meanings all the way through. All those writers who are writing over thousands of years wrote using the same language of correspondences. So if we can figure out uh, correspondences and have this doctrine of genuine truth, we can start to think the thoughts of heaven. It'll just bring this earth a little closer to heaven. Now, uh, um, okay. And the test for it is, is it working? Is it moving you in a good direction? Um, is, is something good happening? I want to tell you a little story. Um, I may have this a little mixed up in my head. Uh, didn't get a chance to look it up before Bible study, but uh, uh, Swedenborg was once asked, I like to think, I'm just making this up, that it was at some sort of an 18th century cocktail party or something, I don't know. But somebody took Swedenborg aside at some point and said to him, which verse of scripture opens heaven? <laughs> You know, 
is it like an Ecclesiastes or something? You know, that's the way I picture the conversation going. This guy did ask him, which verse? So he knew this idea that heaven, you know, Scripture opens heaven, and he figured there's one verse. If you like chant it backward or something, crack, you know, or something, you know, that'd be really awesome. Swedenborg says, they all do if you understand them correctly, which is kind of even more astonishing, you know, they all do. I picture he got kind of a chuckle out of this, like, which one is the verse in Swedenborg? It's like, oh my God, you know. Yeah, the tens of thousands, you know, I mean, there's a lot in there. And, and they, they all do if you hold them in the right light, if you're understanding them from the right perspective. It's sort of a sad thing that you can read Scripture all your life and never maybe have it tilted in quite the right way where the light is coming in and is connecting you with heaven in the way that's supposed to. So a very big deal is not just Scripture, but it's what we know about it, how we read it. It is a very big deal in terms of this getting reconnected with heaven. And um, uh, because you have to be thinking in alignment, there are first heaven thoughts, there are second heaven thoughts, there are third heaven thoughts. It's like, you know, I don't know, uh, back in the day, you, you, I don't know if they even use them anymore, the CB radios, and you'd have a certain frequency, you'd shift to this other one, you know, or something like that. And um, you have to be on the same wavelength right? You have to be thinking something compatible, at least, compatible, for heaven to be able to, to communicate with you. Um, so, now, uh, one other thought I want to uh, say about this is that, uh, you know, I, you could feel jealous of Jacob because it's like, oh, he had a breakthrough. He just lay down in the wilderness and boom, he saw the whole thing. It's, it's great. So lucky Jacob. And why are we tormented with reading about lucky Jacob when we don't get to do the same thing? Well, the point of the story is that there is a way. Scripture itself is a ladder. It's a pillow to connect what's of the spirit with what's of the flesh, with the connect the Lord all the way down into this world. And you notice he was still, like that's when he had his breakthrough. He, he's not laboring. He's not journeying or whatever. He's just, he's lying out there in the desert. And that's when he understands, oh, and Jacob means our lower self. It's just a picture of our lower self journeying through the Word, isn't it? You're trying to go from A to B through here, and you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you're left, it's kind of confusing, and then, whoa, the Word opens up to you, and you see, oh, this is an awesome place. This, this is the gate of heaven. And there's one more thing I want to say about that that, that Swedenborg says about it, which I think is really astonishing. Um, uh, oh, let's, uh, let's read something to set this up. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 55, if you will. We did a whole Bible study on this one night, and I, I really love this passage. But let's just read this. It's a passage about the Word, and listen to what it says about the Word. Let's start in verse 8 in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Mm. See, that would be a little communication problem. If our thoughts are not the Lord's thoughts and our ways are not the Lord's ways, oh, that's why we're having some difficulty communicating. Go on. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Mm, we need to go up the ladder with our thoughts, right? The Lord is way at the top of that ladder. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Go on. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, but do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So that's a complex analogy. It's very beautiful. We spent a whole evening on it one time in Bible study. But the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, this is the analogy. So this is, you find out only afterwards, this is an analogy for the word. This is the Lord's word. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they don't go back. They don't just, oh, boing, bounce off the earth, go right back. You know, the, the point was not for water to hit the earth, bounce and go back into a cloud or something. Uh, they don't return there, but they water the earth. They have a purpose. They're doing something. They water the earth. They make it bring forth and bud. Why do they do that? So the earth will be nice and moist and it'll be easier to weed or something? Uh, maybe, but it's also to make it bring forth and bud to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. There's a purpose to what it's doing. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, says the Lord. His word is active. It shall not return to me void. It's not going to come bouncing back up here, not doing anything. It's going to, just like the rain and the snow, it's going to get a job done. It's going to do the thing that I sent it to do. It'll accomplish that which I please, and it'll prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's what his word, his word is active, and it's doing something, and it's not going to come back to him empty-handed. It's going to do what he sent it to do. So, let me see. Okay, let's, uh, let's read one more. Let's read in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Chapter 15. Yeah, let's read verses 1 to 3 here. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Wow, what a strange thing to say. Okay, so, so again, the Lord is being active, right? There are two things that he does. Uh, if we're, something's not doing well, takes it away. If something's doing well, he prunes it. There's no option of leave it alone. Take it away or prune it. Those are the only options. And... Uh, and then he says, you are already clean. What did he say in verse 3 there? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Yes, in the old King James, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Uh, my word will not return to me void. It's going to accomplish. See, he said that his word had already cleansed the disciples. Just saying it cleansed them. It had an effect on them. So, why am I saying this? Well, what I'm driving at, good friends, uh, my good, dear, and patient friends, is that uh, when I think of the gate of heaven, what I want is I want a gate so that I can go to heaven. 
that's what I want. It's the gate to heaven. It's a gate for me so I can go to heaven, you know? Just like Jacob, you know, go see the Lord, see the angels and all that stuff like Swedenborg did. You know, the gate of heaven. That's what I want. Well, Swedenborg says that it may appear to work that way, uh, but that's not actually the reality. That's looking at it from a time and space perspective. The thoughts of God are to view it a different way, which is that the word is the active party and the gate of heaven is a gate for heaven into you, not a gate for you into heaven. Heaven wants access to you. That's what heaven wants. The gate of heaven, it, they want access to Jacob. Hey, I want to tell you what's going to happen, Jacob. My word shall not return to me void. It'll accomplish the thing for which I sent it. The word is the active thing. The Lord spoke everything into creation in the creation story. The word is the active party. It's not a gate for us to go somewhere else. It's a gate for heaven to flow into us. It's such a good trick. You know, if you looked at a human being reading scripture, you could be mistaken for thinking that the human being was an active party deciding, oh, I shall read John. Oh, I shall not read this anymore right now. <laughs> and you would be justified in thinking that the word was passive, that the Bible was a passive thing that just went, oh, I hope he reads some more. Oh, I don't, oh, he turned a page back. You know, it's completely <laughs> passive. It doesn't have any activity at all. Isn't it good? It's good. It's convincing. Like, this is an inanimate object, but I'm a living human being, and I do as I please. I shall read this and not read that. And, uh, but we're taught in this book that this book is more active than we are, and this book is doing stuff to us. You are already clean through the word that I've spoken to you, says the Lord. It's like software. It's like heaven software that it wants to install in your mind and heart. It's doing something to you. It's active. And it's not uh, invasive. It's not hostile. It's not a hostile takeover of your personality or whatever. It, it's, it's, it's a very gentle thing that respects your freedom. But it wants to come in. And it wants to take you. There may be some day, uh, like Swedenborg, where the heavens open up or whatever, but that's because heaven got him ready. He, he parked his eyes in front of the word for years, trying to figure it out, trying to understand what was going on. And has, as his understanding became more and more heavenly, heaven was able to communicate with him. Heaven wants to do something to us. It wants to install good things in us. It wants to give us the strength. What did the Lord say to Peter? The gates of hell? Will not because he thought something, the gates of hell won't prevail against it? Because he was thinking something? And eight verses later, it said, you're Satan because you're thinking the wrong thing? Wow. Our thoughts are very, very powerful. So one of the things that we can do, good friends, to try in our own little humble way, in our own little meaningless corner of the universe, we can try to bring heaven on earth by having heavenly thoughts. One facet 
uh, that's open to everybody is just, it's all open to everybody. Just read, become familiar with the language of Scripture, figure out the stories, you know, just read, load that in. In and of itself, it might, might not do much yet, but it's a very important substrate to the whole thing. That might be the very bottom of the ladder or something. But then as we come more and more, we learn about heaven. We've learned what heaven's thinking, and then we see things in here. Oh, look at that. That respected freedom. Oh, look at that. That was evil, and that needed to be called out. You know, look at that. Oh, that was a good thing. That needed to be strengthened. Look at that. And you start to see things. You start to think the way heaven thinks. And that might seem like we're doing that, but really heaven is doing it to us. We, we present ourselves to have these different thoughts uh, put into us, just the way that you teach a child language, just a little bit of, the, oh, here's another little thought. Oh, here, we just correct that little thought. Oh, that wasn't quite right. Think this, and bit by bit, you're led into these thoughts of heaven. And that's a little way that we can try to get this earth ready. It's the center of the word. The word is the ladder. It's supposed to be connecting earth with heaven. And if we are thinking the thoughts of heaven, if we're understanding a little bit about correspondences, and I'll talk next time about other things that we need, uh, but if we can come in, first of all, into knowledge of the word, knowledge of the doctrine of genuine truth, knowledge of correspondences, we can start to think the thoughts of heaven, and that allows a conversation to resume that has largely broken down for thousands of years. But this is where we're going. This, this is what the Lord wants. And he, he wants that word to cleanse us, purify us, get us ready for this contact with heaven, make us more useful to others. So that's a little thing that we can do to help earth become readier to receive and commune with heaven. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. The gates of hell will not prevail against that truth. That is what heaven is thinking. That's what we need to be thinking if we are to properly understand your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth, the amazing truth that you've given us, that stone that connects the head and the body, that ladder that reaches all the way to heaven. And once you are there, you say to us, Lord, that you are not going to leave us until the work is done. And guess what? It'll be never done to all eternity. So you're never going to leave us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so upon the earth, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I have nothing to say. <laughs> but it would be about repentance if I did. Rep oh, repent so that 
So the gate, the gates of heaven will open up to you. Yeah, good.